Recorded live. Hey there, I see that uh, Jennifer's on the call. 206 in the house. 206, baby. You know, my sister's up there now. Um, she just moved up there. She's cutting hair and stuff up there. That is fabulous to know because my hairdresser's moving to London, so I need somebody. You, I, you send know, me the gonna... contact info. All right. I will. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna connect you to anyway because I thought that you would. Uh, you'd like her anyway, and she's bomb. She's really good. So. Uh, cool. Right. Done and done. Uh, hey, Mark. Good morning. Calling in about twenty minutes. Okay, Ellie's calling in late. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Steven is staying with me this weekend, so, uh, you know, trying to recover from crazy nights with him. It's a good time. Yeah, well, he, he'll he he'll bring it like they do it in Charleston, so you better watch out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> he doesn't have the regular access and, and judgment, my judgment here in Los Angeles that keeps people at least more secretive about their their exploits. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely more subtle with him. You got to keep an eye out. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's insidious. He 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 gets in there like through his enthusiasm. And before you know it, you're three tequila, <laughs> shot, you're three tequila shots in. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Hi, Brandon. Hi. You're driving in your car, yeah? I'm about to be. Okay. Isn't that wonderful that you can drive again? I know. It's it's a, it's a godly little miracle. <laughs> All right. Um, well... I think we should start. It's 8.32. Sophie's not on yet. Martha's not on yet. Ellie will be calling in a bit later. Uh, Reverend Roxy will be probably calling in around 9.30, and she's going to take over to do the Course in Miracles portion of the class. So why don't we begin with some prayer and meditation. And I'm actually going to let, uh, since Brenda's going to be driving, I'm going to let Jennifer and Mark lead us to our prayer and meditation. So Jennifer, uh, you're going to have five minutes five minutes, so that's it, to lead us to a grounding meditation. Some of that can be in silence. And then Mark, after the meditation, after she concludes meditation, you'll do our opening blessing. Cool? Cool. Okay. Rock and roll. And now, Jennifer, I'm going to invite you to do the best of your ability uh, and just don't worry about if you don't remember it or whatever. Just do it to the best of your ability from what you can remember the white light meditation that we often do in class. Okay? Okay. Awesome. And I hand it to you. Great. Let's everybody find ourselves a comfortable position where we can sit with our spines upright. Let's take a deep breath all together on the inhale. Hold at the top. Exhale. Mm. 
close our eyes and find ourselves peaceful, get alert, and center ourselves at the center of our bodies around our belly buttons and let's begin to create a ball of bright white light, pure white radiant light. And in our minds, as we see that light, let it begin to expand. Begin to expand out to radiate beyond ourselves, to radiate above us and below us and to the left and to the right. Let's take another deep breath in as we focus on that beautiful, radiant, bright white light. And exhale as we feel it expanding. And now I just invite you to continue to focus on your breathing and be with your white light, always brightening, always expanding. And we'll do that together in silence for the remainder of the time.
And as you find yourself breathing in and out, take that white light and release it into the world. Send it out to share with others and come back to yourself in this space. Open your eyes when you're ready. And let's all take a deep breath in. Hold at the top. And exhale. I hand you, I hand the moment off to Mark for a prayer. Okay. So, breathing in and slowly closing our eyes once again, let us deep into a moment of prayer, becoming centered and intentful in this moment, space, and time, knowing there is nowhere to get to, there is nothing to do, there's just a moment here to know what is true, to remember what is true, and to share it with each other. Let us begin with acknowledging what is good in our world, what is good in our life, taking this moment of gratitude, gratitude for opportunity to come together with others, like-minded souls, sharing this journey, knowing that we are all doing our very best. We are all here to simply express and share and be in love. We let go in this place of gratitude. We let go of anything that feels like judgment of self, criticism, not being good enough, not being worthy, not being deserving. Any place where we hold ourselves in a space that is not our truth. Any place where we hold anyone in a space that is not their truth. Let us let it go knowing and standing in that we are all here or together we're in love and that peace is our birthright peace is what we come from peace is what we return to and we have the choice in any given moment to choose peace choose love to choose joy let us also let go any limiting thoughts of what we are ready for or not ready for, any stories we hold around our possibility for our life and for who we want to be in this world, knowing that anything we could ever creatively, imaginatively envision for ourselves, for our others, for the world, already is. It's simply there for us to hold the space for it. And that's what we do. We declare this to be true for ourselves, for others, for all. And we share the healing benefits of this gratitude, this letting go, this declaration. For we are all one, and in that oneness, we are God. And God is simply love. In peace and love and gratitude, we say now together, so it is. Amen. Wow, you guys are getting good. It's beautiful. 
really beautiful guys, both of you. Lovely. So, ooh, so fluid, heart-centered. I love it. So good. It's like taking a, like a bubble bath, a prayer. <laughs> Spiritual bubble bath. Thank you, guys. So this week, uh, Brandon was able to co-facilitate. Uh, he filled in for me because I was at a conference, a marketing conference, and he filled in for me um, in the Prac 3 class. And they were covering the Edwin Gaines material, the Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity, and um, the Joseph Murphy material, not Joseph Murphy, but uh, the Byron Katie material. And I was going to let him just download a little bit with us, like take five minutes to share your experience, share any challenges that you came up against. Um, particularly, uh, there was someone who had a real problem with some of the Edwin Gaines material. He really challenged the material. And I'd like to hear how you all worked with that situation and what you took away from that experience, Brandon, so you can uh, help your fellow practitioners and getting an idea of how to navigate experiences when people aren't resonating with the material you're offering, which, which you know, as we all know, this kind of work can bring stuff up in people and, um, and it can really activate certain aspects of people's personalities. And every once in a while, and this is, I'm not judging this, there's nothing wrong with this, but you have people who are prone to rage. You are also have people who are prone to conflict. It's just a something they've learned along the way. And you have to be able to navigate that lovingly. So let's hear about Brandon's experience and uh, what his uh, takeaway was. Brandon? Hello, everyone. Um, uh, I'm, I've been talking a lot this week, so if it sounds like I'm losing my voice, that's only because I, I don't. I'm not. I'm just been talking a lot. <laughs> uh, Brandon, um, just real quick, just a just a little reminder to respect the confidentiality, so don't use names. Okay, sounds good. Um, so, uh, I I had forgotten, um, that that uh, the material, especially the Edwin Gaines material, is kind of controversy, controversial. Um, <laughs> Jesse kind of just threw me into that. And I, I'm like, I had to do like a little refresher, like literally five minutes before, because I was jam-packing that day. Um, but uh, it, was, it was really, really interesting because I, yeah, I forgot that people have often take up a lot of um, issue with tithing. And um, we especially experienced something that I think a lot of us come up against is that she, Edwin Gaines in the material talks about this as law and that 10% is the law and that you have to do in this order. And, um, you know, my, like it was, it was, for a second, it felt like it was going to be impossible to have them on task because we were supposed to be talking about goal setting. And instead, they wanted to go back to, I'm not participating in this, or I don't believe in anything that she's saying um, because I don't believe in the tithing or whatever. So um, uh, for a minute, uh, you know, I let them talk and 
you know, um, it, it, we also divide in Katie work. And I was often reminded in my mind that people only say what they need to hear. Um, so, you know, for, for, for some of it, I was just letting them talk about like their issues because there was two in particular and they weren't, they weren't like hassling me. They were literally wanting to find a way that they could participate and still feel like they're being true to what they believed. So, and I forget like that, that a lot of that night was kind of a blur. Um, but I, I do know that I had to redirect one of them off the conversation of tithing. Cause one, we weren't in that, we weren't talking about that. And then two, I had to go back because someone said that they weren't participating in the goal setting because they could not get past the tithing part. So I think I, I think I just kind of talked about um, this um, spiritual sovereignty. About yes, you can hear that she's saying that this is a law, and then you can. Um, oh, I kept on using the quote from the Bible: "Judge everything and hold fast to that which is good." And meaning, judge everything means take everything in, take all the information and in, take all the data, and then hold fast to that which is good. Use what's working for you. Use what's going to work for you. And um, my, my goal was to remind them that they're becoming practitioners, that they're, we, don't, we don't come into these programs to learn what we already learn, um, to learn what we've already spent time thinking about. We come in here to get open-minded experiences and to expand. And that doesn't mean we have to adopt all these ideas at the end of the day but it does mean that we are going to be better teachers and practitioners if we can use all the language that is, you know, available to us in, in these metaphysical conversations to communicate with others. Because someone who might not benefit from tithing might benefit from communicating to people about how a tithing law might work. Um, so it was, it was really awesome experience i get i like have a newfound respect for jesse um because it's oh an intro, i mean that was my first time doing like a tele call like holding space basically for two hours um there's someone else on the phone um but it, it, a lot of it was just me kind of reviewing the material with them and it's really difficult holding space for a class that you've never really interacted with too much and um, you're trying to teach them out material and you can't see their faces or hear the responses unless you call out to them. So um, <laughs> just kind of just like wing it, be like, all right, um, someone's going to speak and it's going to be this person now. So, um, uh, yeah, it, it was it was a good experience. I, um, I enjoyed it. Um, they and I don't know if Jesse wanted me to talk about when they did the work, but when they started doing the work, um, for a minute, I didn't want to interrupt, but um, I, I, like, I felt like I had to at some point. And, um, you know, my whole thing was I didn't want to be too curt and just come in and be like, no, this is how we want to do it. So I was trying to be like as compassionate and sandwich every uh, piece of feedback with compliments. Um, 
which is which is something that I always work work on with myself because I can sometimes just say that thing that needed to be said without gently going into it. So um, yeah. yeah, I yeah, that's pretty much beautiful my, my experience too. Yeah, really well. And I, I was just really impressed with how you navigated all that, Brandon. Uh, you did a really great job. You said a couple things that were really valuable pieces of information when it comes to facilitation. Uh, one, especially towards the end when you were talking about giving them the space and then intervening when you knew that there needed to be a redirect. It's I have learned uh, so many times that if I stay out of the way, a lot of times, uh, people will get to the place where I would like to go, where, where I would like them to go if I give them the space to work their own process. Now, if we have a limited, if we have a specific amount of time that we have to work within, then sometimes it's better to get in and start coaching them to support them and getting there quicker. Um, we intervene also when they're just going in a complete different direction. You can feel the energy of it. And from your experience and being an expert in the field, uh, you can hear that they're kind of kind of off the path, and then you can intervene as well. Um, and what Brandon said about leading with a compliment, leading with what they did well is essential. When you go straight into what they can improve upon, then it feels like you're just criticizing. And it is so very important to acknowledge what they're doing well. So you plant those seeds of encouragement, um, and I actually learned that really thoroughly when I was training with Soul Cycle. When they would come in and critique your class, they would always lead with what you're doing really well. And then they would talk about what you could improve upon. But I found like the younger instructors would just go right into what you need to fix. And you just wanted to like walk out of the room. You were like, you know what? I just worked my ass off. I'm doing my best. And then you're just coming here and picking me apart. So it's such a valuable little piece of information that when you're supporting someone, when you're coaching someone, when you're counseling someone, always, always, always lead with what you appreciated, what you saw that worked, what uh, uh, what they did really well, what their strengths are. So they are reminded that you see that, you, that you really acknowledge that. And then you can open up the space to, and here's how you can improve, because they're there in a course or they've enrolled you to support them in deepening their understanding or mastering their skills. So very good work, Brandon. Very good work. And um, I'm holding the space. I'm holding the space for this new year, for this next year, to have 100 practitioners enrolled in the practitioner course come, I think, March is where we're going to launch it. So I'm uh, doing a lot of work to just clear out the curriculum, to have worksheets and everything available each step of the way now that I have a clear curriculum, we've made some adjustments. And in that, uh, you know, I'm holding the space that we can really enroll the minister, people in the ministerial program and in the practitioner program or people who are graduating or about to graduate the practitioner program to come in and facilitate and uh, to strengthen your skills as a facilitator, but also you know, an opportunity to meet people that could be potential counseling clients and uh colleagues and things like that. So I, uh, I'm going to do my best to start giving everybody opportunities to practice and facilitate more. And I knew that Brandon was uh, really likely doing games material and really doing the Byron Katie material well, so I gave him an opportunity to do that. So I'll reach out to you as well.
All right, guys. I would like to talk about, uh, just to shift gears a little bit here, I'd like to talk about the uh, article that I sent you a while ago. I need to pull it up myself. This had it. Where is it at? Here it is. Okay. From the Circle of Atonement, um, what happens to the ego when we die? What happens to the ego when we die? So I'm going to open up the circle first for five minutes, and let's discuss your takeaways of this article, and then we're going to read a part of it together, just a couple paragraphs together, and uh, see how it relates to uh, how you were able to uh, connect the dots between this article and Testimony of Life. And let's discuss that a little bit. So five minutes, the circle is open. And Mark, why don't you facilitate the conversation? Okay. All right. Um, okay. So uh, let's let's begin with... Um, just opening the floor. So who, who who would be inspired to share their take on this particular article? Remind you guys, there was a link that Jesse sent us uh, for the Circle of Atonement website. And if I had Jeopardy music, I would play it. Yeah, um, I just pulled the article up to kind of refresh myself on on it and now I'm now I'm recalling. So um I thought it was a very interesting article to couple or pair with the testimony of light because it's sort of creating a body of evidence that what you know if you needed some kind of convincing that what we were reading has merit, this article could support uh that train of thought. And this stuff always makes me think of my mom because my mom is always talking about how good it's going to be when, when she leaves this earth. And, like, she's actually really excited to, I mean, she's not, like, trying to hurry the process or anything, but she's genuinely excited to see what happens next. And um, I'm, like, hesitant to share with her <laughs> what we're reading because, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to put a damper on her excitement, but uh, it is, I think, shocking to some people. To um, you know, it's kind of shattering to some people that uh, what happens after we die is that the mind continues to be in whatever state the mind is in when it leaves, and therefore, you know, it always comes back to well, we got to do the work. Got to do the work. Um, yeah, yeah, Jennifer, can I ask you a question around that? Sure. So, so I've noticed during this module um, that, like, different people in, in our group in this conversation have have different takes on like what we're 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 reading. Um, it sounds like some people are kind of like really excited to to learn what we're reading, and then others are feeling like kind of depressed by it and <laughs> being like, oh, it's not what I thought it was going to be. Um, and, and myself included, obviously, I've shared quite a bit about that. Um, I'm kind of curious, what is, what is your 
where are you at with it? Are you, are you feeling like inspired by what we're reading? Are you feeling more on the, oh, it's not as, you know, rainbows and sprinkles as you thought it was going to be? Well, I'll tell, I'll, you know, actually where I'm at is I've read a lot of heavy, you know, text translated from other languages, text that's really, you know, written with that spiritual, you know, voice. I'm not sure exactly why people write like that, but this, but I've, I've heard a lot about the different levels of consciousness and the different places, you know, the different types of, of heaven. And I am all of these things that we're reading about in testimony of light, but it was written in such a way where it was like, you know, go forth ye and walk into the light, the light of the seven worlds or whatever. And so, you know, you're, you're reading it and you're like, Oh, I'm talking to people about it. But I think that this book is really helping me visualize what I'm already learning about this, stuff and it's starting to put names and stories around those concepts and helping me really understand it from a place where you know that that a voice that sounds familiar and comfortable for me to hear it from so I'm actually loving the book Um, I actually am aligned to a lot of what she's saying and I invite everyone in the class to, to realize that she's just barely skimming the surface and there's lots and lots and lots of text out there to deepen people's understanding and to there's lots of different you know the philosophies you can read all the philosophies and it's kind of like we were what we were saying earlier you have to read them all and then find the place where they all come together because people use different language and people use different metaphors and different ways of trying to get people to understand this super complex system. And um, and so you do have to keep reading and keep studying and find the Buddhist version and the Hindu's version and the Christian version and bring it all together to find that, that core of similarness um, to help yourself understand. And the way that I like to explain it is if you've ever read the Tao Te Ching, um, it's a, it's, the you know it's the Lao Tzu's uh, beautiful poems about spirituality, very deep, very very deep, and um, it's been translated like a thousand times. And if you put three, you can put ten different versions of the book next to each other and read the same chapter in different translated English. And actually, it's super powerful when you do that because you finally get it. By reading all ten translations, you can finally kind of start to see what he was saying in the original language. So that's kind of how I view this stuff. You got to go out and hear it from ten different sources, and then your mind will be able to start to put together what it's really saying. And I, uh, mm. for me, this start this is the voice that I've been waiting for. Mm. I love that. I love I love what you're you're sharing in the. You know, I very much had a similar experience, um, I think, between reading the book and reading this particular article. Because for me, the book has been challenging for me um, because the the language of it is very Christian, Judeo, very kind of that old place that I my experience comes from. Um, that, that just a lot of it I don't believe anymore. Um, 
but what was really great was I read when reading this article, although it was saying similar, it was still speaking in that similar space and, and truth, the language of it, I could, I could accept a lot easier. Um, and I, I think that's a great point, you know, in spiritual practices is, is like really finding what works for you. Um, because there's no point in going down a more challenging road if there's an easier path. So that's beautiful. Uh, yeah. Brandon. Well, we're actually gonna else? we're actually gonna pause here just so we can get through what we'd like to do. But I really loved that conversation. Um, I really loved that conversation. What I like about testimony of light with this article, guys, is that uh, I feel like the testimony of light is a story, an illustration of one aspect of the divine that incarnated as a nun, <laughs> uh, but and identified as a nun, right? But there we go. Right, right away, as soon as we talked about identity, we're talking about ego because if we identify as an individual, then we are energizing the belief that we are separate from the whole, which never happened. So we have to remember that the ego is a belief system right? It's a belief system in separation. And when we read The Hero of the Dream and A Course in Miracles, we read that the body is a central figure in this delusion, in the dream of separation. And it's the perfect, it's the perfect symbol. And there seems to be so many of them with all these different you know, experiences that would definitely prove that we are separate and individual from one another and so we're just hearing the experience of a nun, someone that incarnated as a nun. That was their curriculum. That was their experience and how this person begins to, this experience, how Frances begins to peel off the layers of separation and begin to recognize that she is one with the light, with God. And it's really fascinating. So I love that Mark... Uh, had shared that he was triggered by the language that she used because uh, it's 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 just interesting. A lot of people get triggered by the Judaic Christian you know connotations because well, I'd have to explain. We've talked about that this at length in this class, so it's good for it's good indication for Mark that there's still some some energy there, some trigger there, so he can uh, you know that's his that's his work. I, uh, I I was always just sort of interested in the experience. I never it wasn't necessarily my experience with it, but um, but I did. It took a couple times until I got that okay that this is her experience. The nuns are an extension of her consciousness. It's what she is going to uh, need to be able to continue her work with ease. I thought about that this this week, you know, I I uh so many people were so lovely uh to me this last week after I uh you know w- had to walk Sammy across the Rainbow Bridge, which was a very challenging experience and uh and I was taking Bodie, my little dog, to run in and I was just like I was like, I really just need to hear from one of my mentors that Sammy is in heaven, <laughs> you know, 
I just need someone to confirm that he's going to be there or something when I cross over. And I called, and I was like, I really want to talk to Reverend Roxy. So, of course, she called me. I didn't even hear the phone ring, and she called me. I didn't even call her. Uh, and to talk about something completely different. But after we talked about that, I said, you know, I just need you to tell me that, you know, I told her what happened. I was like, I just need you to tell me that Sammy's going to be. And she goes, he is there. <laughs> you better believe that he'll be the first one to greet you. And I realized, of course, he'll be the first one to greet me because he's an extension of me. Like, I associate that essence, that presence, that incarnation of just light and love as peace. And so... Of course, that's going to be an experience or part of my experience because that's an extension of my consciousness, like the Mother Superior was for Francis. And it's part of my ego experience, you know, of feeling separate from Sammy, even though I'm one with him. So the expression, the the uh, appearance of Sammy will be there to support me, to ease me into the continuation of my understanding of my oneness as I continue to release the ego belief system. Um, let me see. And because Jesse, you can you can continue to help Sammy elevate into higher echelons of the spiritual realm by continuing to pray for him. Oh girl, you better believe <laughs> you best be believe it. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> um, I was going to say something. Um, you know, it's important to remember, too, that we think that the body has created the ego. That's our experience. That's what we, that's what feels like, that the ego is something that we are doing. But we have to, when we begin to understand the ego created the body, the body is a symbol of separation something to contemplate, contemplate what that means for you. Let's, uh, let's read in the article from testimony from uh, Course in Miracles, the second section, which is two paragraphs. As long as the mind is unhealed, the ego continues on in some form after bodily death. And I just want to double check. Uh, Ellie, are you on the call now? Yeah, I've been here. Yeah, I'm on. Good, beautiful. And Soki or Martha? I'm here. Hi, Martha. Martha and uh, Ellie, do you have the article up? Yes. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay, cool. Ellie, why don't you read the first paragraph? Martha, you read the second paragraph, and everyone else will read along. Okay. Get back. Okay, as long as the mind is unhealed, the ego continues in some form after bodily death. The point the ego continues on after bodily death is this clear implication of the idea that the ego cannot be undone by bodily death. It is a matter of simple logic. If the ego is not undone by bodily death, but only by a change of mind, and when a person dies without making the change of mind, that person's ego must continue on after death. I for one certainly wish at times that it were otherwise because the idea that death ends the ego has a definite appeal. If it were true, then all we would have to do is wait until we die and prove. The ego would be gone. Alas, 
It is not that simple. The truth of the matter, according to the Course, is that as long as the mental decision that made the ego remains in force, the ego will continue in some form. What form might the ego take? It's hard to say, since the Course really doesn't talk about this. But I think it's safe to say that the ego would have to manifest some form in which to live. All thinking produces form at some level. Personally, I think that the ego simply manifests another body of one sort or another after we die. What kind of body? I don't know. But I suppose it could be anything from another earthly body, if one believes in reincarnation, to some sort of ethereal body. There are all sorts of theories about different kinds of bodies in various realms, but I don't think we really need to know anything about that. As Section 24 of the manual tells us, all that must be recognized is that birth was not the beginning and that death is not the end. This is the recognition of the eternal nature of life, which ultimately undoes the ego, whatever form it takes. Beautiful. Okay, everyone, let's take out a testimony of light. And, sorry, we read up to 4th of February. Can I tell a quick story? Yes, for sure. Go ahead, Jen. So I was on my flight back from London, and I had this open seat next to me, and I was really like, oh, it would be so rad if I had this open seat next to me. And this very large Nigerian man ends up sitting down next to me. And so I'm talking with him and uh, trying to get comfortable with the fact that we're sandwiched together in these two seats for the next nine hours. And um, throughout the flight, he really wanted to talk a lot. And so in order to try to distract him, I I handed him a testimony of light and said, you need something to do. Like, here, you can read this book if you're interested. And we got talking about our belief systems and all of that. And he started reading it. And then at the end of the flight, I said, well, do you want me to write the name of the book down for you? I can't give you this book because I need it for a class. And um, I don't know what happened, but he was just like, oh, thank you. Thank you for the book. And I was like, no, I, I actually, I can't give you that book because I need it for a class. And he was like, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I'll enjoy it. I'm, I'll send you my thoughts on it. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, uh, enjoy the book. And uh, I just kind of was like, oh, I don't know what just happened here, but apparently I was supposed to deliver this book to this man because no matter what I did, he was taking that book. So that was my funny testimony of light story of the week. Love it. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, so do you not have testimony of light anymore? Is that, is that what you're trying to say? No, I ordered, I, I ordered it the day. Yeah, I just reordered it. I have it. Okay. <laughs> um, did we, uh, did we read 
17th of January, later together in class, page 71. Well, let's read it. Let's read it now. Brandon, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. I just wanted to know. Hi, hi, Bay. Um, okay, 17th January. Later, uh, we're going to have uh, Mark and Jennifer. Why don't you just read this section, paragraph by paragraph? Mark, you start. Right from the beginning of the section? Yeah, 17th January later, page 71. This is a world of thoughts. Uh, oh, hold on. I'm at the beginning of January 17th. Uh, later. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, this is a world of thought indeed. So is the earth plane, you will say, from which I have just graduated. Only there, thought is slower in action because all vibrations hence all results or effects are slower. And one has a facade, a persona with which to mask thought. The thought. Oh, here, uh, here, sorry, one has a facade, a persona with which to mask thought. Here one seems to be naked. There is no mask, even for thought. One's most, one's inmost thought and sometimes I shudder at the realization that our fellows here can read us as we read books illustrating character and thought and action on earth here one's thoughts return to one like boomerangs potent and immediate in their effects as a thought negative or positive comes into mind it is crystallized into immediate action in the human mind a negative thought can creep in and insinuate itself insinuate itself between all one's good intentions, lying apparently dormant. Then it becomes a nucleus, attracting to itself thoughts of similar content until it takes on a semblance of force through emotion. Later, the results, physical, material, or spiritual, are manifested. But in this new life, the potency of thought is stepped up into a frequency which permits of no sidestepping. The effects are immediate. Here, the thought pattern is determinant of one's welfare, one's progress, one's happiness and joy. As one thinks, so one is. In environment, appearance, and in company. We have to learn to live in this new frequency, to guard the doors of one's mind, to anticipate the boomerang action of negative emotions. This is the way of life of these planes, and every soul must assimilate the way before proceeding onward into planes of even higher frequencies. This is light and darkness as we know it, the day and night of the soul. So let's go around the group and in a minute or less, share how you're doing. Like, not on a scale of one to ten, but just, you know, in your daily life, how well are you doing at, um, like they, like she said, like we talked in the Joseph Murphy material, placing a guard at the gate of your mind, at being able to shift from uh, 
more ego-based thinking to truth thinking, um, to pull yourself out of uh, negative emotional experience so that you can be available and present and aligned in love. So how are you doing? Like, where, where would you say, since, let's say this, make it easy, from where you began, from when the practitioner program began to now, how are you doing at um, being able to release that which doesn't feel loving so you can align with the truth of who you are? And we'll start, we'll do alphabetical order. So let's start with Brandon. Hi. Sorry, I have issues with the iOS update trying to get my phone unlocked quickly. <laughs> um, so um, the beginning of this practitioner, well, I noticed that um, whether it was practitioner-related or just I was in the mindset to be, um, begin being a spiritual practitioner, uh, I, I... I had my first joyful summer in probably a decade last year. Um, And I think a lot of it was because I was focused on moving through joy and stopping with the to-do list and stopping. I mean, I still have to-do list and I still have goals, but really just like saying you've you've done enough, you can enjoy kind of thing. and then just uh like i I kind of just like have taken myself less and less seriously the past um year in particularly, and I don't um hold my opinion that high in regard anymore um, and that that makes life easier so um I definitely know that I've gotten better and it's gotten easier. Not because I necessarily like always feel better, but because I handle and have so much more on my plate, so many more responsibilities on my plate, and I'm still able to find moments of happiness and pause and reflection. So that's me. That's great. So how about let's say on a daily basis, how where do you how disciplined is your mind? Do you feel like how disciplined do you feel like your mind is? on any given day? Well, I think the most important thing is knowing when I'm walking into the world with an undisciplined mind. Um, and I know what days those are. And that's when I end up doing a, you know, mini meditation in my car before I get out of the parking structure. So, um, you know, uh, I I really try to do reflection and meditation and for every morning, and I will say that the mornings I do an effective God, God's prayer, I am actually, uh, like, literally, especially if I'm, like, in pain or in suffering or in sadness in the morning, um, I literally am able to change my mind after the God's prayer. But, you know, I mean, that's, sometimes I don't have the energy for that, like, literally don't have the energy, like, to, to actually have an effective God's prayer. But I know that after I do it, I then have more energy. So um, I would say 
70% of my days now, I feel like I can move into the world intentionally. And then, but unfortunately, my 30% is often uh, um, where my big toddler comes out. So uh, I, I, I can do better there because um, me at my worst is pretty bad, <laughs> pretty destructive. So, um, but, you know, me at my best is pretty pleasant for me. So is that what you're asking? Yeah, no, great. Just checking in, just checking in. Cool. So we got Brandon. Next would be Jennifer. Um, I would say on a scale from one to ten, I'm probably at a five. I definitely have an increased awareness of where I'm holding on to things, but I'm still struggling with the uh, releasing, letting go, making positive change. I have the awareness that I need a spiritual practice, but I'm still struggling in executing it on a daily basis. Um, You know, uh, it's so bad that my spiritual counseling sessions have been reduced to us just doing the, the class homework because, I don't know, it's a long story, but that's, I was just like, if I don't do it with you in this moment, then I'm not doing it. So um, I'm having I, I would say I'm still on the struggling side, but I have a, a much greater awareness of where, what, what I'm going to be hold, you know, the standards that I'm going to be holding myself against in the next uh, phase of life. Okay, great. Um, Jay goes to L L E. I definitely have um, an awareness now of how powerful the mind is, and um, and it's a choice. It's a choice of what you choose to think, and then what you think has a direct um, result in your vibration and the energy that you not only feel, but that you give out. It's like this cycle. Um, like an example... I got I got a really well at the time I'm like oh my god I have this most amazing opportunity to work on a Ryan Murphy show, so um, I'm working for Ryan Murphy right on this new show with Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lange and um, and I'm a stand-in for them. So um, I don't know if anyone knows who that is, but basically like I'm second team for them. So when they're not on set, um, so I, I get to watch rehearse rehearse the scene. And then I do their lines. I do their scene with another actor um, to set up the lighting and to set up uh, just their movements, the marks for the camera and everything. So it's amazing. I'm, like, watching Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lange. Like, it's like my act, my uh, master acting class. I'm, like, watching them every day prepare their scenes, and it's, it's just incredible, right? So I'm, like, how many people are just, like, oh, my God, you know, people will kill themselves to be in your position to, you know, to to be doing this and then Brian Murphy is like right next to me and um and then you know so you have that going I'm like yeah you know my vibration's going good I'm happy I'm I'm in this this is amazing and then um you know at the end of the day I you have to get signed out you have to go to one of the ADs assistant directors so I go up to one to her this just happened actually the other day and I said hey can you sign me out now I'm waiting around now for two hours for someone to sign me out 
And I go up to her, and I'm like, can you sign me out? And she's so nasty and said, my priority is Jessica Lang, and I have to get her to her trailer. You're just going to have to wait. And I'm like, wow. Okay. And so then now someone else comes up to me, and she goes, oh, you have to go see another AB, and walks me out to the extras, which was like a mile hike to the other side of Fox Studios. And I'm walking, and it's just, it kind of puts, the Prior to awareness, I would have been like my grandmother talking to my head, oh, my God, look, you're just a piece of crap on the set. You're nothing. You're, um, you're nowhere in your life. You think you're somewhere and you're nothing. I mean, the whole, like, mindset. But I had a choice. And, and, and from being in this, uh, you know, being a part of this, us, I, um, I had a choice. And I said I'm not, I have a choice either to go down this rabbit hole, hear my grandma's voice, or staying in the vibration of, no, I know the truth of who I am. I know the universe, the divine intervention put me, for whatever reason, in this spot um, here, and I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I'm in a different place, and I just, I, I just focus on light. I focus on my angels. I focus on um, all the positive and um, and I I didn't go down that rabbit hole. It's it's a, it's a consciousness. It's a choice to make. So I think I'm like at like a level seven. I haven't quite mastered it yet because I still got triggered. But that's beautiful. That was a great story. Uh, I would if I were you, I'd, I'd suggest that you write that down, make it a blog, or just hold on to it and uh, have you come do that as a god shot. Really great okay. story. That's, that's sure. a beautiful illustration. Really good. Yeah, I'd write that down. Uh, Mark? Um, I'll just keep it simple. Like, you know, I feel like I, I'm, like, on a completely different level um, since we started the program. Um, you know, before, I think it was more like a conceptual process, like, oh, this is something I need to do. And uh, I'm, in, I'm in practice with it. So, for me, it's, it's rocking and rolling over here. Love it. Yes. Uh, Martha. For me, it's been a sliding scale from sometimes really being off track and then um, sometimes feeling like 80% in awareness and in peace. Um, But I find myself just um, remembering what, you know, what I've learned and I could see clearly how sometimes I'm still enjoying, to, you know, being in that ego place when I get upset about something. I'm aware of what's going on, but I still kind of like to marinate in it for a while sometimes, depending. So, but afterwards, I mean, it's even when it's happening, I'm just in that awareness of what I'm doing. And sometimes I'm okay with it just going through it, and sometimes um, it's, affects me in a negative way, but even then, I'm aware what's going on. As far as practice goes, it's also on a sliding scale. There's been times where I've been just very diligent with it, and then there's times where I've just been completely off. But I think one of the greatest things is that that I'm in a different place of awareness and um, just being more okay with the whole process of how it's showing up for me at my own pace. So that's where I'm at. Well, that's huge. That is huge, 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 just to have that awareness. 
I mean, it really is. But it's important that we acknowledge that, how beautiful that is. So, well done. Really beautiful work. And we just been on class today, right? We are, I'm hearing some background noise. I'm not sure who that is. So, uh, if you're not on mute, we do that. Gorgeous. Okay, guys, I'm going to, uh, if you could write this down, I'm going to give you your reading assignment for uh, this next week in Testimony of Light. And next Saturday, you're going to have a... Uh, Jesse, I'm a, here. Silky. Uh, oh, Silky, how are you? Sorry, I was so late. Because <laughs> okay. I thought uh, it was 9.30, sorry. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> all right, well, I'm glad that you're here, Silky. Good to hear your voice. Good to have you on the call. You'll be uh, you have a real treat working with Reverend Roxy today. Uh, Reverend Roxy, are you on the call yet? I am so here. Oh, rock and roll, dude. Uh, okay, guys, we're going to take a five-minute break, uh, and then Reverend Roxy's going to hop in and take over class. But before we do that, there's a couple of chapters I'd like to assign a testimony of life. Uh, that would be... The 9th of February, that's on page 86. And I'll send you an email with this reminder. We're going to be skipping some chapters now because we're coming towards the end of the module and I want to get through some of the major talking points. Uh, 17th February continued. So page 98, top of 98. The 19th of February. And the 25th of February. Those four sections. And that's on page 108. 25th of February. The 9th of February. 17th of February. And... uh, I think it was the 7th of February, right? You said 19th. Yeah. No? Yeah. Yeah, the 19th. Uh-huh. Hold on. Hold on. So it's the 7th, 17th, 19th, and 25th? Yeah. Okay. But uh, on the 17th, guys, it's, you know how sometimes it che- there's two per day? So it's 17th, February 17th continued. On, on page 98. Okay. So since uh, Reverend Roxy is on the line, everyone, let's take three minutes to go uh, use the restroom, stretch your legs, have a sip of water, and then come back, and she's going to, uh, she knows, uh, and they bring you your Course of Miracles, and she knows what to guide you guys through. Have at it. Okay, How Jesse, are, are we reading all three sections, or did you guys read some of the sections? Nope. You are going to be reading all three sections. All right. Got it. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Okay. How are you doing today? How are you doing today, Reverend Roxy? I have you on the line for about two more minutes. What's going on? I'm, su- I'm super yummy. I'm doing really well. Uh, Hannah is coming in today from London. And oh, we're going to be showing her around San Francisco before we go on the retreat next weekend. Very cool. So she's with you for like three days before the, uh, four days before the, yeah. 
Well, I haven't even yeah. packed yet for the retreat. Well, I haven't packed either. Uh, that's later. I don't even have a suitcase. Actually, I just gave my suitcase away because it broke. I forgot about that. Hmm. Well, we have our the luggage store. We have our first graduated class of practitioners graduating this evening. Wow. Very How excited. Many? Uh, ten. Oh. Yeah. When's that going to be? This evening at 5 o'clock. A phone graduation or in person? In person. Yeah, people flew cool. in and everything. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, that is exciting. When we do that at the CMC, it's fun. We like to show people around town. It's busy. How long is your program? It's your two years. The so program is two years. And uh, within that two years, you there's two um, there's two retreats that are mandatory. So we get together mm-hmm. with the other person. And That's cool. We might change that with the new group because we're taking it really online. And so the uh, so I think that there's there's kind of two things. There's uh, you can get your certificate, which some people do and a lot of people are just interested in deepening their own practice and developing um, a little more loving discipline in their practice and going within themselves as a personal thing. And then there's people that are interested in being professional practitioners and counselors. And so we might make some slight shifts in that in that category. But uh, And then we have a ministerial program. The first one that we're going to launch is going to be one year. And you have to, the prerequisite is the practitioner program. But uh, I might extend it after the first year of, of graduation. But it's going to be very exciting and uh, I'm going to talk to you about that on retreat because I might ask you to help teach in the ministerial program. So there you go. Well, if you're if you're into that kind of stuff, I, I'm kind of I'm into a lot of that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm right. pretty heavily into that stuff. <laughs> well, I like waking up and having fun doing it. That's yes. my goal. Let's wake up and have fun doing it. Yes. All right, everybody. So uh, that's the break and. Uh, you all have probably been on the call with Reverend Rock before. Uh, if you're going on a retreat with us this uh, weekend to Mount Shasta, you'll be all up in her. And, well, not, you know, you're going like, to have a lot of her. And, uh, and then uh, you'll also, um, let me see, she's coming down to Los Angeles on the 14th because she's doing the She Spot. She's the guest, uh, she's the guest expert in the She Spot on the 15th. And then she's guest speaking at uh, Inspire on the 16th and then doing a workshop on the 16th. And then we're launching a six-week class with her online. It's going to be really exciting. So if you haven't gathered from all that information, I'm a big fan of Reverend Roxy, and I'm so stoked that you guys get to enjoy her today. So uh, without further ado, I hand it over to you, and I am going to get the place ready for our oral exams today. So I love you guys so much. Reverend Roxy, have fun. And uh, everyone pull out your Course in Miracles and buckle up. Bye now. All right. So just thank you so much, Jesse. And you get on with your business. I'll take care of these lovely people. I don't know the reading order, though. So I don't know how we do this. I don't know who's on the call. 
um, as far as reading order. So whatever your reading order is, I'll just be Jesse. So I'm going to start and read the first paragraph, and then you guys follow in the reading order that you already know, because I don't know it. Um, and I love, of course, go ahead. What page are we on? We are on 24 in the Manual for Teachers, Section 8, How Can Perception of Order of Difficulties Be Avoided? Got it. And if everybody is there, um, 24 Manual for Teachers, I'll get started and then just, I'm not going to call on you to read because I don't know who you are, so just read. (laughs) Um, If someone wants to talk after a paragraph, if you need clarification after a paragraph, just ask for it. Okay, and I'm just going to go ahead and start. The belief in order of difficulties is the basis for the world's perception. It rests on differences, on uneven background and shifting foreground, on unequal heights and diverse sizes, on varying degrees of darkness and light and thousands of contrasts in which each thing seen competes with every other order to be recognized, every other in order to be recognized. A larger object overshadows a smaller one. A brighter thing draws the attention from another with less intensity of appeal, and a more threatening idea or one conceived of as more desirable by the world's standards completely upsets the mental balance while the body's eyes behold, what the body's eyes behold is only conflict. Look not to them for peace and understanding. Illusions are always illusions of differences. How could it be otherwise? By definition, an illusion is an attempt to make something real that is regarded as of major importance, but is recognized as being untrue. The mind therefore seeks to make it true, out of its intensity of desire to have it for itself. Illusions are travesties of creation, attempts to bring truth to lies. Finding truth unacceptable, the mind revolts against truth and gives itself an illusion of victory. Finding health health a burden, it retreats to feverish dreams. And in these dreams, the mind is separate, different from other minds with different interests of its own and ability to gratify its needs at the expense of others. Where do all these differences come from? Certainly they seem to be in the world outside. Yet it is surely the mind that judges what the eyes behold. It is the mind that interprets the eyes' message and gives them meaning. And this meaning does not exist in the world outside at all. What it is Seen as reality is simply what the mind prefers. Its hierarchy of values is projected outward, and it sends the body's eyes to find it. The body's eyes will never see except through differences. Yet it is not the messages they bring on which perception rests. Only the mind evaluates their messages, and so only the mind is responsible for seeing. It alone decides whether what is seen is real or illusory desirable or undesirable, pleasurable or painful. It is in this the sorting out and categorizing activities of the mind that errors in perception enter. 
and it is here correction must be made. The mind classifies what the body's eyes bring to it according to its preconceived values, judging where each sense datum fits best. What basis could be faultier than this? Unrecognized by itself, it has itself asked to be given what will fit into these categories. And having done so, it concludes that the categories must be true. On this, the judgment of all differences rests, because it is on this that judgments of the world depend. Can this confused and senseless reasoning be depended on for anything? Is that, is that, that must be everybody, right? And then is it my turn uh, again? <laughs> Ellie, Ellie and Soki, do one of you guys want to read? I, you're at the, I can't find it. I'm on my Kindle and I yeah, can't find I, it. Yeah, I will do that. There can be no order of difficulty in healing merely because all sickness is illusion. It is harder to dispel the belief of the insane in a larger hallucination as opposed to a smaller one. When he agree more quickly to the unreality of a louder voice he hears than to that of a softer one, will he dismiss more easily a whispered demand to kill than a shout? And do a number of pitchforks, the devils he sees carrying affect their credibility in his perception. His mind has categorized them all as real, and so they are all real to him. When he realizes they are all illusions, they will disappear. And so it is with healing. With properties of illusions which seem to make them different are really irrelevant, for their properties are as illusory as they are. The body's eyes will continue to see differences but the mind that has let itself be healed will no longer acknowledge them. There will be those who seem to be sicker than others, and the body's eyes will report their changed appearances as before, but the healed mind will put them all in one category. They are unreal. This is the gift of its teacher, the understanding that only two categories are meaningful in sorting out the messages that the mind receives from what, it, what appears to be the outside world. And of these two, but one is real. Just as reality is wholly real, apart from size and shape and time and place, for differences cannot exist within it, so too are illusions without distinctions. The one answer to sickness of any kind is healing. The one answer to all illusions is truth. Okay, I'm going to give just a little summary of this section, and then I want to hear from you guys. So he's talking about the order of difficulties of miracles, or you know, can can perception of order of difficulty be avoided? And this is the same thing: is there's no order of difficulty in miracles. But we see order of difficulty. You know, we see cancer as a, 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 small, a more frightening illusion than a head cold, right? So 
we're the ones who categorize the illusions as, ooh, this is a really bad illusion and this is a good illusion. I like this illusion. I don't like this one. You know, even gravity, you know. We sometimes, we like gravity when it holds us to the ground and we don't like gravity when we drop something on the floor. It's like we, we're fickle about, about our loyalty even to our own illusion. And um, so what we're judging, we're judging these illusions based on beliefs that have been programmed into us, beliefs that aren't even true. And through these beliefs, we decide, oh, this is good and this is bad based on a belief that was never true. And we spend our whole life after we get programmed by these beliefs judging what's good and bad based on untrue beliefs. So when he says there's only one thing we do with these, right? The body's eyes will continue to see differences. That's okay. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But it's the mind that judges, that's judging the illusion as this is a good illusion and this is a bad illusion. That's where we come into the order of difficulty. They're all illusions. No illusions are good. No illusions are bad. All illusions are neutral. They're neutral. They're illusions. Illusions can't be good or bad because they're not real. Okay, I'm complete. What do you guys think? Hi, Reverend Roxy. This is Mark. Um, My question on this one is, I understand the, I mean, the kind of the universal message of the entire course, uh, which, you know, the, between the illusion and reality. I understand that, particularly to the title of this chapter, how can perception of order of difficulties be avoided? I'm still not quite capturing, like, what is the order of difficulties? Like, I'm not understanding what they're trying to address here. Um, the example of, Cancer is hard to cure. A cold is just a, a cold is a little inconvenience. Cancer is this terrible, terrible thing that will kill you. That's an order of difficulty. That's a perception of difficulties, right? So you're seeing one as worse or higher, scarier, more frightening than another. It's we're the ones who attaches the order of difficulty. So we would be saying cancer is easy, harder to overcome, let go of than a cold. Or murder is harder to forgive than um, adultery or whatever, you know. And all of these things are based on beliefs, right? Adultery is based on a belief that's made up in this monogamy that's not even, that was made up by people to control the masses. That's another belief that's made up that, we, you know, and what, we, what I'm going to ask you to do how can perception of order of difficulty be avoided is to look at your beliefs, look at how you're clinging to them, and ask yourself, who made this belief up? Where did it come from? Who does it serve? Why do I believe it? And what if it's not true? Do that with everything you've been taught, because none of it's true. And so how can I... I'm going to give you a little exercise that you can do for order of difficulties uh, about differences and sameness. So we are meant to bring 
the difference that we bring is who we are in relationship. And we're meant to bring that difference to this experience, the difference, the 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 unique, you know, difference of who we are in the world in relationship. But we're, we bring that through knowing that I'm one in being with God. Everybody is one in being with God. And because of that beingness, because we're one in being with God, that beingness connects us to every aspect of creation. So it's from my oneness of being that I see my brother and know that both of us are are one in God. So I hold their divinity. I hold my divinity. But I also know that I'm supposed to bring who I am to the world in who I am in relationship to the world and those dis, that difference that I'm the same as God I'm in the same in being as God but I'm different in relationship I like to think of it as I'm God in being and Christ in relationship so you're meant to bring the different aspects of who you are to your relationship but we're meant to do it knowing that we've never, ever disconnected from our, the being of God and we've never tarnished our innocence by having our experience of differences. Our experience of differences cannot tarnish our innocence and it cannot separate us from our being of God. And the reason why this experience of the world is painful is we believe, one, that we've separated from the being of God, and two, that we're guilty because of it. Those two are the, those, those are the two biggest lies ever told. It's impossible to separate from creation, from being, from God, and it is impossible to tarnish your innocence. Okay. Thank you. I hope that helps. It does. Anyone else like to share on this section? Okay, then we will read on. Um, Are changes required in the life situation of God's teachers? And go ahead, please. Who's the after Jesse reader? Yeah, sorry, that's me. Changes are required in the minds of God's teachers. This may or may not involve changes in the external situation. Remember that no one is where he is by accident, and chance plays no part in God's plan. It is most likely that changes in attitudes would not be the first step in a, the newly made teacher of God's training. There is, however, no set pattern since training is always highly individualized. There are those who are called upon to change their life situation almost immediately, but these are generally special cases. By far, the majority are given a slowly evolving training program in which as many previous mistakes as possible are corrected. Relationships in particular must be properly perceived and all dark cornerstones of unforgiveness removed 
Otherwise, the old thought system still has a basis for return. As the teacher of God advances in his training, he learns one lesson with increasing thoroughness. He does not make his own decisions. He asks his teacher for his answer, and it is this he follows as his guide for action. This becomes easier and easier as the teacher of God learns to give up his own judgment. The giving up of judgment, the obvious prerequisite for hearing God's voice, is usually a fairly slow process, not because it is difficult, but because it is apt to the to be perceived as personally insulting. The world's training is directed toward achieving a goal in direct opposition to that of our curriculum. The world trains for reliance on one's judgment as the criterion for maturity and strength. Our curriculum trains the relinquishment of judgment as the necessary condition of salvation. Okay, so I want to talk, I have a couple things to point out in this and then I would like to hear from you. Um, it's extremely important and a key piece that um, we go back to this part where he says, there is, however, no set pattern since training is always highly individualized. Your individual contribution, your life, exactly as it has played out, there is, because can't plays no part in God's plan. Once you made the commitment to awaken, right, once you decided, I want to sleep no more, I want to find out who I really am, everything that has come to you has come to you in service of that request, of that decision. And you have not made any, you've not done anything wrong. You haven't done anything bad. You have never sinned. Every decision you've ever made, everything that has happened to you has led you to this moment, to now, where you are waking up. And your contribution to God's plan for salvation is essential. And it's essential from every experience you've ever had. Your individualized plan is part of the interlocking chain of forgiveness, the interlocking chain of miracles. And I want you, after this call, to take some time to thank yourself for doing your part, for showing up, for, you know, being willing to question the ego's thought system. And the ego fights us at every turn. It does because it's literally fighting to stay alive. But when he's talking about you learn to give up your own judgment, he's really talking about the ego's judgment. Your own judgment, yourself, your higher self, the Holy Spirit, the voice of God in you, that voice has always been with you. And when you go back and look for that voice and you look at the times you've listened to it and you've done what it said, you, that, that helps you build your faith in that voice. So do that too. Look at the times you've listened to your inner voice and you've followed it. So that voice is in you. It's always been in you. It's part of you. And your salvation is not in the world. Your salvation is in following that voice. But you're doing that because that's, you know, you've agreed to do it. So that voice is sending you every person, 
every situation, everything that's coming to you is coming to serve your awakening. Um, Take some time to acknowledge what a great job you're doing, how um, you've been willing to listen to that other voice. You've been willing to quiet the ego so you can hear that voice. And um, that as far as the, you know, the only thing required is a change of mind. But if there's changes in your life situation that you're supposed to do, that too will happen. Um, You know, I was supposed to get out of my marriage and the way that that was supposed to happen was for my husband to find somebody else. And I look at that situation now, him having an affair and all of it as one of the greatest gifts I've ever experienced in my life. I feel nothing but gratitude for him, for her, and for the whole situation. So when you look at what's going on in your life, if you look at it from the place of, oh, this is this is my higher self bringing me exactly what I asked for in order to further my awakening. Um, give yourself some, you know, congratulations for that and some tenderness and some compassion and some kindness for the situations that contribute to your awakening that are hard and difficult to get through. All right, I'm complete. What do you guys think? I'm, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm struck by this conversation because I, I am having a challenge in my life where basically everything I asked for is all happening, and I am uh, definitely struck by uh, how much harder it is than I thought it would be, <laughs> uh, and trying to figure out you know, the next step. So this lesson is, of course, perfect for me today. And I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that on the one hand, situations may change in order to help a teacher practice and or come to the, you know, come to, into some new understanding. And I'm, and I'm hearing that, you know, physical aspects of your life may need to be altered. And I'm hearing that we should be listening to our intuition. And I'm still, like, still kind of landing in this place of, like, a, a doubt, a doubting, a doubting, saying, well, you know, can I, can I leverage what's happening into a new opportunity Do I have to? I don't know. I'm just feeling really stuck, and um, I'm happy that we're that we're going through this lesson today because I do think that one of the things I, I'm supposed to be tapping into is my intuition, and my intuition is giving me all kinds of mixed messages. That's all. I'm just confused and stuck. I thought I'd just share that with everyone. <laughs> Well, I I don't know that intuition is um, – I don't think – I don't think – I disagree that intuition gets mixed messages. I think there's a conflict going on in you, um, 
but that your your intuition doesn't argue with your ego. Only the ego argues. So if there's an argument going on in your mind, it's not your intuition happening. Ah, uh, I I got that. I got that. Thank you. And then I want to say one thing about this sentence where he says, relationships in particular must be properly perceived and all dark cornerstones of unforgiveness removed. Um, I'm really big on relationship. Relationship is everything. Relationship is everything. Relationship for me is God. God is relationship. You can't experience God without relationship. But relationship is it's also where we judge and where we go back in our mind and we look at our these people we're in relationship with. And you're in relationship with everything. You're not just in relationship with people. You're in relationship with people, places, things, events, all of it. You're in relationship with matter. You're in relationship with everything. And that's why separation is a lie because we can't exist without relationship. Um, we can't even play the game of separation alone. You have to have somebody else to play separation game. You can't even play the game of separation alone. So relationship properly perceived. What that means is that all relationship is holy all, or has the potential for a holy relationship. And all you need to do to have a holy relationship with everybody or everything you're in relationship with is to relinquish your judgment of the other. And um, basically, we have to relinquish our definition of them. Because what we do with people is we, we put them in categories and we define them. And then we decide they're not what we think they should be. We do that with the world does that. That's the job of the world. We take people and we say, mm, you're not what you should be and you're not what you should be and you're not what you should be. And we, do, you know, instead of, and the course calls it, you see your brother as you would have him be instead of who he is. Everybody's Christ. Everybody is in relationship, in agreement. We've all agreed to do this. Nobody is not playing their part, and everyone's part is essential, including the insane parts. And, you know, it is, it is a necessary part of the plan to play out insanity. We wanted to play out insanity. So Trump is an evidence of playing out the insanity of fear. That's what it looks like. And he is our savior, it's a huge service to play that out and to show what fear looks like and how insane it is so we can look at it and go, wow, that's just silly, right? Because that's what Christ does with illusions. Christ doesn't look at illusions and go, oh, my God, oh, my God, we've got to fix this. Oh, my God, this is terrible. Christ looks at illusions and says, how silly, how silly that I think that's real, that I once thought that was real. And Christ lets Trump play its game of separation without judgment because the game of separation doesn't hurt Christ. All right, so relations, 
relationships properly perceived. Start with Trump. He's your savior. If you can look at him as your savior, you can probably find every, you can probably see everyone else as your savior. So start there. Find your salvation in Trump. You're like, oh my God, really? Relationships properly perceived, they're all holy. If you see the person as Christ and and the, the script, Trump is, there was a, a script written, right? There's a script written. And he was born into a family. It was already set up. The script is already written, just like me. I was born into the family that I chose. I wrote the script that I wanted to play out. But my script, you know, Trump's script is he's playing out, this is what fear and this is the insanity of fear and separation. This is what it looks like. Then we get to either join in fear and separation with him or we can join in seeing fear and separation as untrue and seeing it as insane. And therefore, you can join him in the relationship of, thank you, brother, for showing me the insanity of fear. I choose unity and relationship instead. So you just bring gratitude to the brother, not this fear. Oh, my God, if this person wins, it's the end of the world. And that's okay. Even if it's the end of the world, that's okay because it's okay if the world ends. It's an illusion. And what, what we, we can't wake up if we're still buying into it being real. And so that is really our salvation. Our salvation is honor and joy your brother in holy relationship, in unity, and and know that there is no such thing as separation while laughing at the silly idea of separation. And that's what he told us in A Course of Miracles. He said that what happened is we forgot to laugh at the tiny idea, the tiny mad idea of separation. When we look at the world, when we dis- when we know, okay, there's no order of difficulty and illusions because a hologram is a hologram is a hologram. You can't have like um, good and true and right parts of the hologram and wrong and bad and evil parts of the hologram. They're all equally untrue. But what's not, but what is real is our experience and relationship. So your experience of the world, of the hologram, of the separation dream, it's real because you're having the experience in relationship. That part is real, the experience. And then so we get to decide, since it's a hologram, since it's just a movie, and nothing, nothing is, I can't harm creation and I can't harm myself, I might as well do what I love while I'm here. I might as well have fun. So that's my goal, is to have as much fun in the hologram as possible while loving people in relationship. What do, you, do you guys have anything you'd like to share before we read How is Judgment Relinquished? Hi, Reverend uh, Roxy. This is Martha, and I have a question. Um, 
how does suicide play into the script? Because I had a friend that committed, well, actually, I think it was the love of my life, but um, I could see how that event, like, completely changed me. Um, Uh But at the same token, how does it play into, like, the Course in Miracles, like, suicide itself? Suicide is a neutral event. All events are neutral. There's no such thing as death and killing the body has no meaning. Killing, murdering a body, mm-hmm. killing your own, killing another body, right? That's what Jeshua taught us. He was jumping up and down going, hey, guess what? I'm not crucified. Look, I'm fine. I'm not crucified. And guess what? You can't crucify God's son. So self-crucifixion is no different than crucifixion by others. It's an illusion. Um, and, I, you know, I just had my nephew just killed himself and my, my brother in the same week. My brother died from an overdose, and he, he'd been working on that for a while. He finally, finally OD'd at 61, and he'd been, he was an addict all his life. Um, but the thing is, my brother... His, the life he lived presented many people with the opportunity to choose love, to choose forgiveness, to forgive. And he lived the kind of life that asks for forgiveness, that calls for forgiveness. That's a sacred life. That's a successful life. My brother didn't fail. He lived a life where he, he left a tornado of forgiveness opportunities but that's not an unsuccessful life. That's just an, unsuccess- an unsuccessful life based on the world's judgment. And there's no such thing as hell and nobody is punished when they commit suicide. That's an insane belief that we're taught. Remember, religion, a punishing God is insane. The idea of hell is insane, that God would create a place called hell and send the son he loves to it. That's insanity. That's just freaking insane. And I can't believe we fell for it for so long. But we're not falling for that nonsense anymore. And your friend who um, left their body, you know, and when I think about my nephew and how troubled he was and how much pain he was in inside his mind and, and how tortured he was, and when I found out he killed himself, I was like, I'm so glad that you're released from that. I was grateful. I was happy for him. Because I don't believe in death of the body, and I don't believe in sin. And I, and I believe that every life is a successful life because every life can teach one person perfect forgiveness. Thank you. I hope that helps. A lot. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, anyone else? Are we ready to read? We better we better go around. I've got to read this or I'll get in trouble with Jesse. I'm only kidding. Okay, let's read because this is really good. Um, Go ahead, next reader. I don't remember who it is. I think it was me, the next one. How is judgment relinquished? 
Judgment, like other devices by which the world of illusion is maintained, is totally misunderstood by the world. It is actually confused with wisdom and substitutes for truth. As the world uses the term, an individual is capable of good and bad judgment, and his education aims at strengthening the former and minimizing the later, the latter. There is, however, considerable confusion about what these categories mean. What is good judgment to one is bad judgment to another. Further, even the same person classifies the same action as showing good judgment at one time and bad judgment at another time. Nor can any consistent criteria for determining what these categories are be really taught. At any time, the student may disagree with what his with what his would-be teacher says about them, and the teacher himself may well be inconsistent in what he believes. Good judgment in these terms does not mean anything, no more does bad. Okay. It is necessary for the teacher of God to realize not that he should not judge, but that he cannot. In giving up judgment, he is merely giving up what he did not have. He gives up an illusion, or better, he has an illusion of giving up. He has actually merely become more honest, recognizing that judgment was always impossible for him. He no longer attempts it. This is no sacrifice. On the contrary, he puts himself in a, posi- in a position where judgment through him rather than by him can occur. And this judgment is neither good nor bad. It is the only judgment there is. It is only one. God's son is guiltless and sin does not exist. I think you guys should highlight that line. God's son is guiltless and sin does not exist. Okay. Is it me? Yes. The aim of our curriculum, unlike the goal of the world's learning, is the recognition that judgment in the usual sense is impossible. This is not an opinion, but a fact. In order to judge anything rightly, one would have to be fully aware of an inconceivably wide range of things, past, present, and to come. One would have to recognize in advance all the effects of his judgment on everyone and everything involved in them in any way. And one would have to be certain there is no distortion in his perception so that his judgment would be totally fair to everyone on whom it rests now and in the future. Who is in a position to do this? Who, except in grandiose fantasies, would claim this for himself? The ego would do that. The ego would claim that for themselves. Only the ego would do that. Okay. Sorry. Remember. Remember how many times you thought you knew all the facts you needed for judgment and how wrong you were. Is there anyone who has not had this experience? Would you know how many times you merely thought you were right without ever realizing you were wrong? Why would you choose such an arbitrary basis for decision making? 
Wisdom is not judgment. It is the relinquishment of judgment. Make then but one more judgment. It is this. There is someone with you whose judgment is perfect. He does know all the facts, past, present, present, and to come. He does know how all the effects of his judgment on everyone and everything involved in any way. And he is wholly fair to everyone, for there is no distortion in his perception. Therefore, lay judgment down, not with regret, but with a sigh of gratitude. Now are you free of a burden so great that you can merely stagger and fall down beneath it. And it was all illusion, nothing more. Now can the teacher of God rise up unburdened and walk lightly. Yet it is not only this that is his benefit. His sense of care is gone, for he has none. He has given it away, along with judgment. He gave himself to him whose judgment he has chosen now to trust instead of his own. Now he makes no mistakes. His guide is sure, and where he came to judge, he comes to bless. Where now he laughs, he used to come to weep. It is not difficult to relinquish judgment, but it is difficult indeed to try to keep it. The teacher of God lays it down happily. The instant he recognizes its cost, all of the ugliness he sees about him is its outcome. All of the pain he looks upon is its, its results. All of the loneliness and sense of loss, of passing time and growing hopelessness, of sickening despair and fear of death, all these have come of it. And now he knows that these things need not be. Not one is true, for he has given up their cause, and they, which never were but the effects of his mistaken choice, have fallen from him. Teacher of God, this step will bring you peace. Can it be difficult to want but this? Okay. Um, I'll, I'll be quick on this. Um, but, or I'll try. I'm not really very quick at anything. But this is really yummy. Now, judgment is actually what um, the effect of judgment is the separation. Judgment is what increases or makes separation. And it, it's when, let's say, I'm having a moment of joining. I'm in relationship with somebody. I'm enjoying just being, being with someone I, I'm in relationship with. And I'm not, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, just a relationship. All relationships has a potential, potential to be a holy relationship. So I'm in the presence of someone. I am hanging out. We're having fun. I don't judge them because I know that I'm Christ and they're Christ. And that's the only judgment I need is that we're both Christ and behavior, you know, it doesn't matter our behavior. But once I decide that I know my mind, my ego, looks at that person and decides that they're not doing something right or I know something better or, you know, I make any kind of judgment, what that does is it it causes separation in the relationship. And it separates us and it it makes me, I'm Christ and you're not, or I'm not a sinner, you are. Or if I lower myself, right, if I put myself down in my mind when I'm with in, in a relationship, thinking they're better than me and I'm less than them, that's separation. The only time 
I can experience holy relationship is when, in my mind, we're both Christ. Because their behavior doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they're doing. And if I'm in relationship with somebody who's having behavior that I don't want to be around, then I move away from that behavior. But I don't, you know, I don't stop believing that that person is Christ. And um, so, and then this other thing, I'm going to tell you a secret that he doesn't really tell you for two more books. Um, But the Holy Spirit is you. The Holy Spirit is your higher self. But in A Course in Miracles, we needed to believe that our inner wisdom was something else because we don't, we don't, we don't trust ourselves enough yet. Um, But the inner wisdom is you. You are God. We are all God. We're, we're having this separation experience as God. We're having, having this separation experience for God. And we couldn't have the separation experience without forgetting that we're God. So we had to forget that we're God to have the separation experience. But we're tired of it. So we're starting to remember we're God. And the escape plan from the hologram of, of separation, the escape plan is to remember that we're God and that we made it up. So we are in the escape plan. The escape plan has been, evacu- has been activated and we're waking up. So thank you guys for doing your part in remembering that we're God. What would you guys like Reverend- to share in our last few minutes? I, I have a question about this one because um, this comes up quite a bit for me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a executive and career coach, and I often get a lot of clients who are really challenged to make decisions. Um, and they're oscillating between kind of like, should I do this or should I do that? And, and they really want to come to a decision that really feels good and right and, and confident for them. Um, what's your take on, like, how do we support people in helping them come to a decision in, I'm thinking in a very tangible way, not like kind of spiritual concepts, but like, should I leave this job? Should I stay in this job? Or should I, um, you know, or not should, but what do I really want most here? How do we help them have that conversation that's free of judgment, but also gives them something tangible on which to make that decision? Um, well, first we would, I guess I would ask them to, um, is the decision, are they making the decision from fear? Um, and then look at the relationships involved and ask them, ask what serves, what decisions best serves the relationship rather than, or my, and that should include the relationship with self. I just quit a job. Um, they were paying me $50 an hour cash. It was like the money is like, oh, my God, this is exactly enough money to relax and, you know, so I'm okay and I can relax and grow my spiritual business. But it was killing my spirit, the job. And it was a tutoring job where the parent wanted me to, like, turn their kid into this, turn their kid into a genius by, having, by intensely tutoring a four-year-old. And I just couldn't do it. It was, 
she's this beautiful spirit. It was killing me every day I went. I was like, I don't like this. I like being with her, but I don't like this. And I quit because I, and I just said, you know what? I'm trusting the universe with money. I'm not going to sell my mind for money. So I told those people I would gladly babysit their kid because I like to spend time with her and I do it for less money and, uh, you know, because they have babysitters all the time. I still get to spend time with the kid and I don't have to sell my mind for money. So I would ask them what, what decision best serves your relationship with yourself and um, are you making, are you doing something out of fear? And if you're doing something, keeping a job out of fear or leaving a job out of fear, whatever, if you're making a decision based on fear, then what do you, you know, maybe you can look at that, look at the fear. And then, ask, could it be? Well, and then ask what would love do? You know, look at the fear in the situation and just say, well, if, I'm, if I wasn't afraid, if this fear wasn't here, if I wasn't afraid of this, what would I do? Without the fear, what would my decision be? Does that make sense? It Look at what the fear make... is. And then without that fear, what would I decide? If I wasn't afraid of this, this, what would I decide? If you so weren't the afraid of not having money, what would you do? So here, the Course isn't saying not to have discernment, that it actually sees discernment different than judgment. Judgment is fear-based. Discernment is love-based. Discernment is necessary, but uh, the difference between judgment and discernment, judgment says something's bad and something else is good. Judgment says good or bad. Discernment is, can, looks at it, says, well, is this, what do, what is this, what's this situation for? Rather than Mm -hmm. why, discernment would ask, what, what is this for? rather than why is this happening to me, right? Why is this happening to me as victim, the victim question, the question of the ego. What is this situation for? That's the question of your Christ, the Christ in you. Mm, Okay, that's great. Thank you. Anyone else? Are you sure? Any burning desire before we close? We have two minutes. Okay, I am going to take you, leave you with a little prayer from A Course in Miracles. It's yummy. And it's at the very end of Chapter 5. Um... And I'll just give you a little reminder. This dream, we wanted to experience extremes, extreme opposites. The sonship wanted to find out what it would be like to experience extremes, extreme pleasure, extreme pain. And if you look at the world, it is an example of opposites, light, dark, It's all opposites. But the experience of extreme opposites is happening from within wholeness. 
the Son of God did not leave wholeness in order to experience the extremes of opposite, the extreme opposites. Pain and pleasure are opposite ends of a whole experience. When we decide to have pain, we're choosing half of a whole experience. And we're the ones making the decision to have the experience in separation. And that's why it hurts. But if you, the next time you're in any kind of pain, emotional pain, physical pain, look at it and say, I made this decision myself. I chose to experience this pain. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go into this pain and really just allow myself to innocently have this experience. And then when you're finished with the experience, when you've allowed yourself to just have it, just feel the pain, just have it, then you can allow yourself to let it go and you can move back to neutrality. Neutrality is just a place of peace. But choosing to have choosing to have an ego outburst and yell and scream, that's also an innocent choice. It's a choice to experience an, ex- an extreme. We, it hurts. It's painful because we think those ex- having those extremes, that we're having them in separation, that we're doing this alone, outside of wholeness, and that the extremes tarnish our innocence. Neither of those are true. So enjoy your extreme experiences from this moment. Look at them differently. Look at them innocently. That's all I got. I'm complete. Thank you so much, you guys, for um, sharing and teaching with me today. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right. Have a busy rest of your day. Thank you. you. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye.